You are listening to The Political Periscope, a weekly podcast brought to you by Radio WNET. Interviews on international politics, security, geopolitics, economy and more, every Thursday at 7pm. Today's guest of The Political Periscope is Professor Javier Gil Perez from Comillas Pontifical University in Madrid, a specialist in international relations. Political Periscope. How do you think the fact that the summit was held in Madrid affected the agenda? Did it affect the agenda in any way? My opinion is yes. Basically, uh, the main goal of the summit was to elaborate a new strategic concept you know, for NATO for the next 10 years. And of course, the main issue was how to confront Russia. Russia has invaded Ukraine. We are facing a, a terrible crisis in the eastern flag of, of, of Europe. And that was the main point. But because the summit was held here in Madrid, you know, in the capital of Spain, in my opinion, a little attention was paid you know, to the situation in the northern part of Africa, what is called the southern flag. And basically, the uh, disturbing situation was basically in the Sahel subregion, okay? Because right now, since I would say since five, six years ago, the situation in the north of Africa is evolving uh, very negatively, uh, with more problems, you know, uh, in basically related to, interna- to international jihadism. That is the first point. Second, uh, there are growing problems with irregular immigration. Third, now we have the energy crisis. So basically, the situation in the South is probably more unstable than in the past. No? Um, that is the reason why, uh, because you know, the, the summit was celebrated in Madrid, that you know, was the new strategic concept you know, was basically uh, declared no? that the Southern flag was, is important for, for NATO countries. But I think that the most important thing is that um, in NATO, in the new strategic concept, was basically we had decided, we had decided, you know, to focus on, on Russia. You know? That is our enemy, that is the aggressor, uh, and that is the country, was basically that uh, is putting in risk our way of living in here in, in Europe. Uh, Spain is kind of uh, far from uh, from Russia, and. Uh, how is it in Poland? We all uh, feared—well, uh, not really fear—but we feel uh, that we can be attacked in, in almost any moment. Uh, in Spain, uh, probably even in the case of big war, Spain wouldn't be as much directly uh, affected at, as Poland. Uh, how people feel about it? Uh, how they feel about Russia and the war? Bueno, pues, as you can imagine, here you know the way we see Russia. Uh, is different, you know, uh, you know, that the way, for example, that Russia is perceived, for example, in Poland or in the Baltic states. Uh, I think, you know, the geography matters and geography is very important here. And for Spain and for the political elites of Spain, that is the political elites of the Popular Party, center-right, conservative, and the Socialist Party, basically center-left, the main, you know, security issues, basically, that can affect Spain now and in the you know pues in the, in the short term was basically derived from 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 the north of africa no so that is our main interest you know let's say of insecurity okay or security uh russia in spain is seeing uh, with the distrust 
Uh, of course, we see Russia as the aggressor, but for Spain and for Spanish people, for example, you ask, for example, common students here in my university who are studying international relations, you know, we see the threat of Russia basically, you know, far from Spain and basically in the distance. That is the reality. So basically for us, it's an enemy, but it's, it's an enemy of the distance. You know, we don't see, you know, uh, any probability that Russia, for example, attacking uh, Spain. But at the same time, this is changing and this is a new factor because right now there is uh, some kind of political crisis, you know, between Spain and Algeria. And the main political ally of Algeria in the world is Russia. So now, let's say that, you know, um, I mean, in my opinion, the political elites are, are becoming, you know, more concerned about Russia because what Russia is doing in Ukraine is basically killing people um, because the links, you know, with the Algerian government. So that is a new, let's say, concern in, in, in Spain. And that is the situation. But anyway, just to conclude, we see Russia, you know, as an as a enemy in the far. Also, there is some Russian influence in uh, Spanish separatism, right? Uh, in Spain, and there is uh, Catalonia, there is uh, Basque country, and uh, Russia is meddling a bit in those uh, parts. Well, especially in the Catalonian, you know, affair. As far as I know, uh, you know, I, I don't have news about, you know, uh, basically of, uh, you know, uh, the Russian interference in, in Basque politics, okay? But it is very clear because there is an investigation and there have been many articles, you know, and research on, on that, that the Russians, you know, tried and in fact they did interfere, you know, in the uh, basically referendum of 2018. Basically, the main goal of the uh, Russians or so basically agents working from Russia was to provoke tension uh, and to provoke basically uh, you know, public disturbances here in, in, in Spain. So that is uh, an issue. Uh, that, is, that is real. Um, in my opinion, uh, and this is my personal opinion, we still don't know, you know, what was, you know, the, you know, the degree, you know, of Russian interference in Catalonia. But, you know, uh, European Union now, they are discovering basically, for example, contacts between uh, re Russian agents and the former president of Catalonia, you know, uh, uh, I don't really, uh, Carles, uh, Carles Puigdemont. So that is a reality. Okay? And this is very interesting because members of the uh, separatist, you know, political parties in Catalonia, they are trying to distance, you know, themselves, you know, from Russia. Because now, of course, one of the image of Russia was, is extremely negative. No? So this point is important. And I, in my opinion, you know, needs more uh, research. Um, what is uh, the image of uh, Russians, maybe not Russia as a country, as a state, but Russians in uh, Spain? There are many Russians coming, uh, many tourists, many millionaires buying houses. Uh, mm. What Spanish people think about them? Well, it's a very good question. I think there are, uh, you know, two different views on Russia. One is uh, regarding the political elite, let's say Putin, Medvedev, and the oligarchs. So basically, we see these people mainly as corrupt people, uh, violent people, uh, and authoritarian people. Um, but, you know, we separate, let's say, the political elite of Russia and the economic leaders of Russia or the common, you know, the common Russian people. Uh, it's true that before, you know, Ukrainian crisis, 
you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of Russians was basically visited uh, Spain, especially the coast of Andalusia and the coast of Valencia. Um, there are some small communities uh, of uh, Russians living here in, in Spain, and we don't have a special problem with, with them, okay? Uh, so let's say that we don't have a post, uh, neither negative nor positive you know, view on this Russian common people living here in Spain, but uh, it's true that we have a very negative view you know, on the political and economic elite. Bueno, but now with the economic sanctions on Russian assets in Spain, bueno, pues basically many of these assets bueno, have been frozen by the, you know, by the Spanish government. So that is the situation. So I would say that there are two you know, opposite views. Uh, in Poland, uh, after the Russian aggression on 24th of uh, February, uh, we stopped making this um, distinction between common <laughs> Russians and uh, and uh, Russian political economical el uh, elites. Uh, <laughs> is it the same in Spain, or mm, do, Sp Sp do Spanish people believe that it's Putin's war? Yeah, I think uh, we follow. You know, uh, your second your second point. I think we still divide, you know, between the Russian government, that is the Putin's war, that is the, the war of, of the political elite. Let's say that is the, uh, you know, the war of the bureaucrats of uh, Russia. Um, and another thing is basically uh, the public, you know, uh, or the common, you know, uh, Russian citizen. It's true, for example, that is my personal opinion, but not the general one. I'm very critical, you know, the Russian society, you know, because in fact they are justifying, you know, because what, you know, uh, what the Russian army, for example, is committing every day, you know, in, in Russia, sorry, in Ukraine. But the general view of the Spanish view is that we distinguish, you know, you know, both levels, the political one, the economic one, or the top leadership of the country, and then the Russian and citizens, okay? So that, that is not the case of Spain. I understand the position of Poland, And in fact, I have to say that I admire, you know, basically the political leadership in Poland because you have been, you know, basically uh, trying to uh, collaborate with Ukrainian forces, um, basically denouncing, you know, the Russian imperialism. And I agree with that, but not the common Spanish people. And what is uh, the Spanish attitude towards uh, NATO? I heard uh, opinions that uh, Spanish people are kind of skeptical towards NATO, towards the United States. Hmm. Well, basically, I think this is a, a very interesting question. Uh, Spain is the is a very unique country in NATO because it, it is the the you know the only country that you know um, you know held a referendum, you know. To decide, you know, whether you know join NATO or not. Okay, so this is important. And um, finally, uh, basically, the uh, the majority of the Spanish population in 1983, if I write, was decided to join NATO. Okay, uh, but it's true that, for example, right now the uh, government of Spain, you know, uh, is composed of two different groups: the Socialist Party, okay, the Labour Party. And Podemos. Okay, Podemos is basically linked, you know, to the former, you know, Spanish Communist Party, and the former Spanish Communist Party. And Podemos, of course, now, was basically is anti-American. This is true. And second is anti-NATO. So basically, that I would say that around 15%, percent, one five, of the Spanish population, or basically people supporting Podemos, um, political parties, you know, connected to the far left in Spain, was they are anti-NATO. They consider the NATO, for example, an organization of the past. 
uh, they consider that NATO is an old-fashioned organization, and in fact, they consider that NATO was basically in somehow, you know, has, you know, uh, let's say provoked, you know, to the Russian, you know, invasion of, of Ukraine. But the vast majority now support of NATO, that's true. Uh, the main lead of the political leaders, I mean, the mainstream politically, they support NATO. I was in the in the in the summit in the think tanks, you know, uh, summit. Uh, of course, there was a consensus with NATO, uh, but it's true that a small, you know, minority of the country reject NATO, and they think that NATO basically um, is just a negative, a disturbing, you know, international organization. In my opinion, this is the way I call them. I call them, you know, the sons of Putin. Okay, because basically they are, pues, in somehow, you know, following, pues, basically. Uh, ideas and opinions and the message of Vladimir Putin here in Spain. And that is true, and it's a complete disaster. Let's get back to the NATO summit. Mm. We we said that it's not the most important for uh, for Spain. Mm. The most important uh, thing, things for Spain uh, were Sahel and terrorism in North Africa. Mm. But uh, all those achievements in the East uh, NATO permanent presence in the east on the eastern flank, um, uh, increasing the the number of the forces. What does it mean for Spain? Is it uh, agreed on, or um, is there some kind of debate? Is Spain ready to participate in uh, in those forces? Yeah, I would say yes. I mean, Spain has a commitment, you know, with NATO. And with other, you know, for example, European Union operations in other parts of the world, the problem for Spain is the economic situation. In Spain now, the deficit is high. In Spain now, the debt is uh, high and rising. In Spain now, the inflation is growing. So, in my opinion, one of the main, you know, obstacles to basically to increase the budgets on defense is basically for the economic situation of the, in the country. Uh, I don't see, you know, uh, I mean, political obstacles in the coming, in the near future, you know, to increase, eh, pues basically, the participation of Spain in, in, in NATO operations in the north of Europe or basically in the east of Europe. In fact, for example, this is very interesting. Spain has been, Spain forces has been deployed in Baltic states, I think, since four or five years, years ago, especially members of the Air Force. Um, this Spanish forces deployed in, in Estonia, for example, they are very popular here in Spain. So I think uh, the political commitment is, is, is there. We don't have any problem with that. We want to contribute you know, with the defense of the east and the north of Europe. In fact, I think, we, I think in Spain it's very important you know, to be part of something. So that is not a point. The point is the economic situation. And in fact, one of the most important agreements of NATO and this is and this was a requirement of the United States is to increase, you know, the budget on defense, you know, uh, around two percent. Uh, right now, the Spanish uh, defense expenditure, I think, is below. This is, I think, no, it's below one percent. So basically, uh, we need basically just to double, you know, our uh, defense expenditure. And this is more debatable now in Spain. No, there there is more debate because of the economic situation because of the prices of common things, which basically are increasing. And uh, there is some debate, you know, uh, if we increase our budget on defense, we have to reduce, you know, the, the budget on other aspects of the, of the society. You know? So basically, the, the, the debate is where to cut, okay? But anyway, 
no political uh, obstacles. So I think the, the obstacles are more, you know, um, linked to, to the economic situation. Yeah, it's between uh, 1.01% 1.01%, and 1.4%, according to different sources. But the Mm. Spanish Prime Minister said uh, that Spain is going to achieve this goal of 2% of GDP uh, military spending. Do you think it's real? It's not real, for sure. I think uh, Pedro Sánchez is just basically expressing some ideas but no sense ideas, because I think uh, probably uh, if we continue increasing our budget on, on defense in the following years, probably we'll reach 2%, you know, uh, by 2028 or by 2030. Uh, but maybe, okay, if there is a change of government in the next general elections in 2023, well, pues, probably, you know, uh, the new government, you know, will decide to accelerate, you know, was basically the, the 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 I mean the the increasing of on, on defense expenditure. But right now, and then the under this government, I consider that you know to reach two percent in the next one two years is completely impossible. It's completely real. I think we need at least seven eight years, you know, to basically to complete to fulfill that goal. Mm. Let's speak about the other thing that NATO agreed upon so the military aid for ukraine uh, how is spain going to involve uh, itself in uh, helping ukraine in a military way uh, what is spain going to send well no, there is another important topic you know there have been many uh, a lot of criticism on the spanish government because politically speaking you know in the diplomatic front spain you know has condemned you know russia aggressive and Spain has, you know, public support, you know, Ukraine. But in terms of military equipment, we have sent just, you know, just ammunition, uh, some, uh, you know, uh, rockets, you know, propelled grenades. Um, you know, we have not, you know, sent, I mean, uh, heavy, let's say, heavy military equipment. No? So in my opinion, uh, we are not following, for example, your country, Poland, or the Baltic states, or United Kingdom, or United States. That, in my opinion, they are the countries that they are maintaining, because basically the military force of Ukraine. Spain is in the second or in the third, you know, a group of countries that, uh, politically speaking, they support Ukraine. They are against, you know, the Russian aggression of or, uh, against uh, Ukraine. But in terms of military equipment, you know, the collaboration, in my opinion, has been very limited. Okay, so that is the situation. It's uh, it's, it's very sad, but we had to to recognize it. I hope that probably if um, the situation in Ukraine gets worse, um, probably maybe that is one of the uh, maybe that is one of the uh, possible evolution of the war in Ukraine. Well, I hope that Spain will decide, you know, to increase the level. Okay of the military equipment, you know, sent to, to, to Ukraine. But so far, very limited, um, basically a light material. That is the situation. That's true. Uh, this NATO summit was also the first summit to, uh, to mm-hmm. see the participation of uh, so-called Indo-Pacific partners of NATO. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is uh, due to war in Ukraine and uh, what will this cooperation mean for NATO? 
Well, a very good question. Um, my area of research is mainly Indo-Pacific. So I can understand, you know, clearly the situation in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, basically, uh, when we analyze, you know, um, allies of the West in the Indo-Pacific, it's very clear, you know, to, to basically to find them. Australia and New Zealand, they go, you know, together. And probably the country with the worst, you know, relationship right now in the Indo-Pacific between China and another country, that is Australia. Australia was, uh, or China was a very good economic partner of Australia during the last 10, 15 years. In fact, to explain the economic uh, boom, eh, the economic prosperity of Australia in the last 15 years, well, of course, China is a, is a key reason because China has been, you know, buying a lot of, you know, minerals and raw materials from, from Australia. But politically speaking, well, the situation now is worse than ever. Uh, Australia has been very critical of, of China. Australia is very is very critical of China. Australia, you know, has categorized because basically uh, China as a authoritarian state, uh, risks, you know, for the stability of the Indo-Pacific. And Australia is very concerned, for example, of the of the new you know military alliance between China and the Solomon Islands, you know, that was signed was one one month ago. So for China, uh, sorry, for Australia, uh, China is one of the main security concerns in the region. They think they consider that China is, is expanding. And that basically Chinese expansion explains why Australia decided to attend, you know, the NATO summit here in Madrid, along with New Zealand. And regarding Japan and Korea, both countries are the main allies of the United States. Don't forget that the United States uh, is deploying right now around 25,000 U.S. soldiers in South Korea and more than 55,000 soldiers in Japan. So basically they are you know, key partners, they represent was basically uh, uh, Western values in the Indo-Pacific. And in the case of Japan, was basically Japan is, the, is one of the, you know, main opponents, you know, to the Chinese rise. So I think the participation of the four countries was a very good news, you know, for NATO, because we need allies, we need partners, we need friends, we need countries with our ideas, you know, to be defended and to be promoted in an area that will be, in my opinion, the most important theater was in the in the present, you know, 20, 21st century. So I really welcome the participation the participation of, of the four countries. And I have to add that China has been reading a lot of Chinese newspapers these days. And China has been very critical of NATO, you know, because uh, China is accusing NATO of interfering, you know, in the Indo-Pacific affairs. China is accusing NATO of being an aggressive organization. And China is accusing NATO of being basically a puppet you know, of the United States. Okay, so well, that is the reality. The truth is, and I think uh, I commented this, you know, to a journalist some days ago. Uh, the most terrible thing for uh, Europe right now, for Poland, for Spain, and for the Western values, is the you know that that Russia is let's say emerging again as a hard power, a very aggressive power, and that is terrible because you see the consequences in Ukraine and in other parts of Europe. Um, um, an aspect, you know, linked to the to, to the rise of Russia is the rise of China. You know, China is rising, but China is because is, you know, in my opinion, will be, will be in the future, was probably a superpower. Um, this future superpower, because right now is a totalitarian state. No, so for NATO, for the European Union, for all the member states of both organizations, NATO and European Union, one of the key challenges of the future is how to you know deal with the rise of uh, China in the East. And that is, uh, that is another topic that we should analyze 
in the following years, because that is, uh, that is the key point, how to engage with China. Two more questions, one very short, one a bit longer. So very short, do you think it is possible in the future that we will see NATO as a global alliance of democratic countries with Japan, Korea, Australia, New Zealand as members? Well, probably. The truth is that now there are new, let's say, uh, you know, more informal, you know, organizations like the, you know, the ANSAS or the Quad, you know, uh, with uh, India, you know, uh, Japan, Australia, United States. So right now there is, uh, let's say, a race of new organizations, you know, small ones, informal ones, with no very strong ties. But the presence of uh, these four countries. In, in the NATO summit, in my opinion, you know, uh, it uh, shows a commitment of both NATO and the four Asian countries, you know, to basically reinforce, you know, political links, security, let's say, uh, links. And basically, uh, both are, you know, or both want, you know, to promote, you know, the ideas of uh, freedom. It's very simple. It's freedom, uh, a world rule-based, you know, uh, order. Um, and the promotion of uh, basically freedom. I repeat the idea of freedom no? against authoritarian state and against, you know, um, in this in the case of China, as anti-freedom countries. So, well, it's probably maybe um, maybe not very soon, but in the future, I see, and this is quite clear, a major engagement of Australia, uh, Japan, South Korea, and Australia in in NATO. That is quite clear, and I see also a major, you know, engagement of the United States with the four countries in the, in the Indo-Pacific. That is very clear. You were talking about China as a future threat, and it is also expressed in NATO new uh, strategic concept. Uh, it is uh, expressly say, said that, uh, uh, that China is a possible challenge, is a challenge for NATO uh, interests and security. Mm. But... Uh, what is, in your opinion, what can be China's role in the current war, uh, with, uh, in Russia-Ukraine war? Well, no, I think uh, first in the very beginning, uh, China dis- decided basically, the, I mean, I, w- I will not say to remain neutral because they are not, you know? but, you know, uh, China didn't criticize, you know, because the, the Russian aggression. Uh, in the following days, you know, China has, let's say, uh, or the position of China has evolved. China is buying, you know, more than ever, you know, natural resources from Russia. In my opinion, uh, China is somehow, you know, supporting, you know, the Russian policy in, in Ukraine. If you follow, for example, this is very interesting, if you follow, you know, uh, the, the, the Chinese mass media, especially the Xinhua, the Global Times, or the People's Daily, uh, they are extremely critical of NATO. They are extremely critical of uh, United States. Uh, they consider, you know, NATO and United States basically the guilty of the current situation of, of Ukraine. So in my opinion, the role of, of China is crucial. You know, I want to add one important thing. If China, if China uh, wants to stop the war, they can do it. It's very simple. They can stop buying any, you know, uh, natural resource from Russia, you know, minerals, uh, oil, gas, and in fact, they can put up, you know, some pressure on Russia. 
but uh, they are not doing this. So in my opinion, they have the capacity, you know, to influence, you know, uh, on Russia. In fact, in my opinion, they have the capacity you know, to stop the Russian aggression, but they have decided basically to uh, allow Russia but to, to conquer and to kill thousands of people in Ukraine. So in my opinion, it's shameful. It's very shameful. And I will repeat it, you know, hundreds of times, you know, the current, you know, position of China. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for this interview. Well, thank you. Send me the link when the podcast is ready. And all the best for Poland and for the Pol and the for Polish people. <laughs> sí, claro, 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 le voy a enviar. Muchísimas gracias por esta entrevista. ¿Sabes una cosa que me da mucho miedo? Espero que Ucrania aguante y resista. Porque como Rusia avance, si, como te, si, si Rusia llega a la frontera polaca, no quiero ni pensarlo. Esto sí, esto sería horrible. O sea, tampoco sería quiero horrible, pensarlo. ¿no? Porque, uf, entonces, bueno, no sé. Le pido a Dios que, que los ucranianos aguanten y que, y que no avance más Rusia. Y espero que sea así, ¿no? Yo creo que ese es el commitment de NATO. Pero lo, los ucranianos están pagando un alto precio por la libertad. Y bueno, espero que, que les que apoyemos como tenemos que apoyar. A mí me gustaría que España haría mucho más, pero vivo donde vivo. Pero que sepas que admiro a lo que está haciendo Polonia con respecto a Ucrania. Muchísimas gracias. Muchísimas gracias. Pues gracias. Nada, un beso muy gracias. fuerte. Hasta luego. Chao, chao. This was the Political Periscope. The podcast is released every Thursday at 7 p.m. 